Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with Johnny Cash fan, Dr. Lucy Jones. We thank our individual supporters who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society through Patreon. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast and the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for as little as $5 per month? Your support enables us to serve even more communities. Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Now let's get to it. Whenever there is a significant geologic event along the Pacific Rim, people take to social and conventional media and start conjuring the mythical impacts of the Ring of Fire. This is more than just a Johnny Cash song, though. This goes back to the mid-1800s, when an article was published in Scientific American referring to the string of volcanoes that surround the Pacific. This is like 1878. And that's where most people's understanding stops. Volcanoes around the Pacific, earthquakes around the Pacific. But it must be all connected, right, Lucy? Well, okay. So the Ring of Fire is a name that was coined when someone realized there were a lot of volcanoes around the Pacific. But before plate tectonics, they couldn't explain it. Why are the volcanoes located where they are? And plate tectonics answered that, right? As we discussed in episode 99, the concept of plate tectonics only came together in the 1960s. The terminology of ring of fire had been around almost a century by that point. Right. But plate tectonics actually told us that the ring of fire was not significant, at least in the fact that the volcanoes surrounded the Pacific Ocean. We have an interesting human response to water. Remember all those stories of California falling into the ocean as though the ocean was something it could fall into instead of just being water sitting on top of land that happens to be a little bit lower. I mean, your sidewalk is not going to break because it has a puddle on it. The water on top of the concrete really doesn't matter. And the fact that there is an ocean and that water covering all the plates under the Pacific Ocean really doesn't matter either. What plate tectonics did do is give a reason for two of the three major types of volcanoes that we see. And as in episode 42, we explained that there are three types of those volcanoes, right? It's the hot spots, the mid-ocean ridges, and the subduction zones. Right. The mid-ocean ridges and subduction zones are because of plate tectonics. Those are plate tectonic boundaries. Only the hot spots, the ones that are coming up from deep into the mantle, are still a bit of a mystery and not directly connected to the plate tectonic motion. So the ring of fire, as it's called, is basically made up of subduction zones. But then it begs the question, why is California part of it, right? Except for the very northern part of the state, California doesn't have subduction zones. Right. But it's a classic example of seeing a pattern, wanting to hold on to it, even though you found gaps. And so instead of abandoning the pattern, we modify it. The 1906 earthquake in San Francisco was very significant when the term was first gaining traction and people wanted to include that within it. And of course, this was all before we understood the relationship or often the lack of relationship between earthquakes and volcanoes. So this is just basically humans being humans, right? Looking for a pattern when one doesn't really exist. Right. When we try to join up the volcanoes and the earthquakes. But what plate tectonics also did is explain not just volcanoes are at subduction zones, but why subduction zones have volcanoes 
at a subduction zone, one of the plates is being pushed down underneath the other. And so you see a pattern of really deep earthquakes because you have cold rock being forced down into the earth. Earthquakes can only happen where the rocks are cold enough to break instead of bend. But then as you're forcing that plate down, there's a lot of friction between the overriding plate and the plate going down, so much so that it starts to melt the rocks in those locations. There's also, of course, then water because it's been under the ocean and it's caught up in the sediments. So you're now melting these sediments, adding in water, and that gives us our explosive volcanoes. But notice that the creation of these volcanoes is really a very local phenomenon. It's only happening right there at the plate interface. And it's not connected to anything deeper or more extensive like the Hawaiian hotspot or something. So look, we've taken half an episode so far to talk about the idea of the ring of fire. Why are we spending so much time talking about it if it's really just an explanation of something that we didn't know about before? Now we do, but we still held on to the idea. What's wrong with the ring of fire? We hear Pacific plate and Pacific ocean and can often think that those two are in the same location and that all these volcanoes are signs of the Pacific plate going down into the earth. But in fact, there are several other plates under the Pacific Ocean. Mexico, the subducting plate is the Cocos plate going down under North America. The Nazca plate goes under South America. And over on the west side of the Pacific Ocean, the Philippine plate is going under the Eurasian plate at Taiwan and the Philippines. So a lot of these volcanoes that are part of the Ring of Fire don't have anything to do with the Pacific plate at all. And so it's talking about many different subduction zones on many different plates. Okay, does that make it wrong or the use of the term incorrect? It's more that it makes the idea that it is one thing dangerous. When you think of the ring of fire as one thing, it's easy to imagine ways in which the activity in one part of it could affect the other. And that's what we keep on hearing over and over again whenever there's a big earthquake. Heaven forbid we have two earthquakes or an earthquake and a volcano in different parts of the ring of fire. The ring of fire is acting up and we're all in more danger. But we aren't. It doesn't work that way. The data shows that events around the ring of fire are not correlated in time. We've looked for correlation across distance and we just don't find it. And even when you happen to take the subset that are actually only on one plate, we still don't see it. We don't even see an increased risk of a big quake after a volcanic eruption or vice versa, the danger of a volcanic eruption after a big quake, even when they are nearby. And this isn't because we haven't looked. We have studied the interaction of big earthquakes extensively, and we have a good fit to a model that says the ability of one earthquake to trigger another dies off as one over the distance away from the triggering earthquake squared. I've said this many times before in various episodes. The correlation distance is approximately the length of the fault that moves in a quake. So even when you get up to a magnitude eight, you don't see a correlation beyond a thousand kilometers. And we see no pattern in the direction being along the plate boundary doesn't change that. So we've looked for the signal and we don't see it. The ring of fire has no geologic significance. Johnny Cash found more significance to the ring of fire than any geologist ever has. So when you hear someone talk about the Ring of Fire, know that it's not about geology and that an event on one side of the Pacific has zero connection to the geological event somewhere else across the Pacific. We'll leave it there for now. And so until next time, 
I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you, Getting Through It. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones. <laughs>